Nature's own Ozempic or Berberine is all over social media, but does it really help you lose weight? Calling something natural is a bit like blood in the water if you think of scientists as being sharks. We see anything being advertised as natural and you and me both have that first instinct to say. There's something fishy, pardon the pun, that we can <laughs> smell here. I was VP at Google for 10 years. Here's the number one skill I looked for at job interviews. Very few people had it. Let's take a guess. What do you think the number one skill someone at Google would be looking for in job interviews. The views expressed in this podcast are our own opinions. They do not reflect the thoughts and values of our employers. You're still relatively new to all of this. We do this podcast both through video and audio. Which one has been a harder adjustment for you to get used to? During the pandemic, everyone went on Zoom and they became quite self-conscious about their appearance, right? But I was considered an essential worker, so I wasn't actually on Zoom that much. So I feel like I'm kind of having this experience now in looking at my mannerisms and thinking, oh, that's that's a bit strange or... Right. Right. Should I wear something different when I'm on camera? Well, but luckily you do some very lovely lighting, Jack. So that keeps me happy. No, you look mm. great on camera. Thank uh, you. You, I think, require a lot less work than I do to look reasonable on camera. For me, it was actually audio that I was confronted with first because in teaching, they record about lectures, but we didn't have fancy cameras in the lecture theaters. It was just the, the slides, the PowerPoint slides and the voice. <laughs> and when I first heard my own voice being recorded back, I sounded like a little kid. At the time, now I had this booming male authoritative voice, but I was a much more squeaky back in the day. And it was really obvious the disparity between the C's and Tenia lecturer at the time and me who just started. So that was a big confronting thing. And I found all these vocal tics I had, which I hopefully I've removed most of them now. But I think I used to do a lot of weird clicks with my mouth. And I say ah uh, and um a lot. And I say so. These vocal tics, as the editor of these videos, rating when it's yourself. When it's other people, you don't mind so much because you don't mind if other people look silly and sound silly on camera. It's just yourself. You've got this bad self-image. I always just try and pause if I can't think of what to say, but I know in practice that that doesn't always happen. It's advice I give to students as well when they're giving presentations. Everybody tends to rush because they're nervous, but really if they pause or just take a second or even have a sip of water... It's a good trick that everyone uses if they've lost their train of thought. And... For a dramatic pause before mm-hmm. your big point. And speaking <laughs> of dramatic pauses, welcome to Crossover Connections with Jack Wang. Our podcast about science, technology, and careers, productivity. Everything is more connected than we really think in this modern day and age. My name is Jack Wang. I'm a scientist, a microbiologist, as well as a teaching professor at an Australian university. My name is Amanda, and I'm currently working as a manager of clinical research. This is episode 10 in our first season of the podcast, and we like to open each podcast episode with a segment we call The Connect, where we revisit old topics and old headlines we've covered in previous episodes to see how it's been updated, because the key with all of this research that we've been doing for these podcast episodes, Amanda, is that we're not really looking at primary scientific literature. We're looking at popular news headlines. The first article today is based on a previous discussion we had. Nature's own Ozempic or Berberine is all over social media, but does it really help you lose weight? We talked about Ozempic being a drug or a miracle drug that was Mm -hmm. made popular by TikTokers saying it was so amazing and helping them lose weight. You take it and you pretty much just never feel hungry and you can lose a stack of weight just because it's an appetite suppressant and we talked about not just its effect and maybe part of its dangers although i think it has been approved for weight loss it was shown to have that effect in the trials Mm. and there's a i think it's a higher dose version of it under a different name that's scripted for weight loss okay so its Mm. primary usage is not in weight loss it is for controlling uh, blood sugar for diabetics Mm. as an insulin alternative type 2 diabetes for type 2 Mm. diabetes but in this case people are using it for an off-label use it 
it has a indirect effect mm-hmm. of weight loss right. and suppressing appetite. And that has led to a rage of influencers talking about it and therefore massive global shortages in Ozempic. Mm-hmm. And I saw on the latest Oscars broadcast, the host was making a joke and he was saying, oh, you all look great. The Ozempic and the plastic surgery must be working. So it's really cut through. Yeah. I think people yeah. really know what Ozempic mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. even though it's very, very specific. The name isn't even that catchy either, Ozempic. So that shortage has led to people looking for Ozempic and maybe paying black market prices for Ozempic. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I don't know. And Big Pharma obviously is looking to cash in on it. So I'm sure they're trying to ramp up their production line and have as much of it available on stockpiling as possible. But alternatives have arisen. And this is one of these alternatives that people have marked and named the latest health trend nature's own Ozempic. And this article tries to debate the idea whether or not it is better than Mm -hmm. Ozempic Mm -hmm. or is the fact that it's quote-unquote natural make it not just more effective but maybe superior in terms of how it damages your body and how it affects you. Always be suspicious of something that's a natural product. A lot of scientists will know, but maybe not the general public, that a lot of the mainstream drug treatments that we use these days actually originated in some way from uh, compounds or molecules that are found in nature, like from plants or animals, neurotoxins, this kind of thing. And then they're synthetically made, but the synthetic manufacturing process can be a lot more streamlined and regulated than isolating something from nature. Also, these natural products, they undergo very different regulations to what an an actual drug would. So I'm always a little bit suspicious of something that's a natural supplement because I just don't think it's well regulated and it could potentially actually be more dangerous than a drug. Whereas people tend to think that because it's natural, it's actually quite safe, but it's not always the case. So suspicion is my first thought. What about you, Jack? Nature is home to some of the most poisonous things (laughs) we've ever seen some of the most dangerous poisons come from spiders and snakes and bacteria and viruses these are all natural but they are super super dangerous much more dangerous than what we can chemically synthesize or modify often as you say the Mm. unnatural part of it Mm -hmm. is usually in service of saving money Mm -hmm. that's usually why it's unnatural because Mm -hmm. if we let nature do its thing it's terribly inefficient very time consuming and it costs everyone like you might have to go to the middle of nowhere to extract a tiny bit of dirt and get sap from a tree and get nanograms Mm -hmm. of it but if you Mm -hmm. synthesize it in a test tube in a big vat of bacteria mm-hmm. that you can make oodles of it and mm-hmm. actually in turn make that more environmentally friendly. By mm-hmm. being synthetic, you're not True. expending, let's say, the fuel to travel to the middle of the Amazon to get this very rare species <laughs> of whatever. It's more pure, right? Um, you can better control the dose that you're getting from it. Calling something natural is a bit like blood in the water if you think of scientists as being sharks. We see anything being advertised as natural and you and me both have that first instinct to say there's something fishy pardon the pun, that Mm -hmm. we can smell here. If you dive into this a little bit more, I think this belongs more on the neutral end of the spectrum. And if you go through and read what's presented about berberine, what is it? And whether or not it's better than a Zempic, the article says essentially it's a bitter tasting chemical extracted from roots of plants, such as a golden seal and barberry, and it has a class of plant chemicals called isoquinoline alkaloids. Beautiful. I can't pronounce chemicals to save my life. And these extracts have been used in traditional medicines, apparently, in lots of 
of different formats. So people have been taking it for different purposes already. It's not a new thing that's come off the truck of some natural remedy provider. Not that trucks are inherently bad, nor are natural remedy providers. Is that a false equivalency to say this is nature's own exempic? Because it does actually target the same pathways as exempic, or is it just weight loss? Because weight loss is a whole bunch of different metabolic pathways cross-reacting. So exempic, it imitates a natural hormone, G. LP1, glucagonal-like peptide 1, and it helps the body produce insulin. So it simulates Mm -hmm. that hormone and imitates it. So the question is, does berberine, if it really is similar to ozempic, also affect that hormone and help you produce more insulin? Mm -hmm. So that's the question. If it does, then you could probably make the claim it's nature's own ozempic. That's the only time I would make the same claim if it's acting on the same molecular pathway. Most people couldn't care less about no. it affecting the same pathway or which hormone it affects. It just said, do I lose weight? <laughs> but we care. <laughs> we care. As long as we care, we'll keep doing this podcast. They break it down again. Does it help you lose weight? It says it helps modest amount of weight loss. I don't know what modest actually means, but modest oh. is not zero amount of weight loss, nor is it weight gain. Three kilo. Oh, it's not, not insignificant. Three kilos is great. Bad. I'll take a three kilo weight loss yeah. for, for taking a natural remedy. And they're saying the, the results were significant, which means that not just one participant, there's <laughs> at least three participants who have lost weight, <laughs> minimum statistically. Let's talk about significant in a scientific term versus significant in just a, a grammatical term. Because I have to mm. remind the listening audience that neither Amanda or myself are statisticians or mathematicians. <laughs> significance in science has a different meaning. Mm-hmm. And when I say significant, it means usually a number of people have been involved. There's not just one single person. Right. They've done some statistical testing to mm-hmm. show with a certain percentage of confidence, it actually is different. Mm-hmm. If you're going to dive in more than that, please see <laughs> our never aired episodes of that statistic. We'll never air that episode. It's significant in that, you know, it's a small amount, but we're pretty confident it happens. Not significant as in a large amount of weight loss. We're confident that we could reproduce this finding over yes. a larger group of people rather than just a one-off observation. And this Absolutely. person lost three kilos. Like anything, I believe this berberine, if you take too much of it, is it's toxic. That goes for anything. If you take too much water, it's also toxic. <laughs> Not really news. And what's interesting to me is that it does actually influence GLP-1 levels, that glucagon-like peptide 1 hormone that mm-hmm. helps the body produce more insulin. Mm-hmm. Like Ozempic, it does influence GLP-1, decreases blood sugar levels, stimulates uh, insulin release, and influences cholesterol absorption and how fat is processed. I think just the degree to which it's impacting those pathways is is different. But it does hit those things on a lower level. We don't know how specifically, do we? No. There haven't been the studies to show it, it seems. Not at Mm. all. And they then go on to say, is it safe? Well, first of all, it's sold over the counter. You don't have to go through a doctor to get a prescription for it, Mm -hmm. is my understanding, at least in Australia. That could change. Straight onto iHerb. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe if this gets popular enough and, again, the stocks start running low, maybe it will get regulated like Ozempic, like vaping. Maybe there will be more regulations. Mm -hmm. But there are side effects, diarrhea, constipation, gas, upset stomach. Large quantities may be fatal. And a reminder that you should always discuss health supplements that you take with your GP because you don't know how they might affect the other medications that you're taking. So you might think it's not worth a mention, but in many cases it is. From my reading of this, can be argued as another alternative to Ozempic. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say just because it's nature's own, it's inherently better or inherently mm-hmm. more effective. I mean, I think it's a little less effective at hitting these pathways, but maybe it affects a broader range of things in a less predictable, less reproducible way. And the key here is that, yeah, any new drug, you should talk about it with your GP before launching into it. Conversation article also linked to a systematic review of the effect of berberine where it goes through the evidence and pretty much supports the things we talked about in the range of pathways it affects and the modest mm-hmm. weight loss it mm-hmm. leads to. And this seems to be a pretty comprehensive study that was not done that long ago.
go. <laughs> so I think pretty safe to consider incorporating it, but again, talk to your GP about if it's the right use case for you, especially if you're a, a type 2 diabetic person, <laughs> not necessarily if you just want to lose a ton of weight and time for a swimsuit season. <laughs> three kilos. <laughs> three kilos. Again, three kilos I'll, I'll, I'll take three kilos. kilos. And this is a meta-analysis, isn't it? We've spoken about them before where basically they've taken a whole bunch of different research articles and c- combined the results to draw some conclusions. Yes. Mm. Uh, I found it a really good read, but again, we're in the tank for this. If you're not a scientist, <laughs> <laughs> this won't be a good read for you at all, I'm going to argue. But you can read the abstract at least and get a mm-hmm. sense that you're very literate and very uh, all over the science. That brings me to our next segment, Crossover of the Week. Mm-hmm. Our section and segment where we talk about the biggest headline that's hit the news and hit the radars. And this week's headline... Scientist Starts Podcast, episodes reportedly filled with tangents. This is obviously a tongue-in-cheek headline. It's not a real headline. This is to highlight the fact that we are in episode 10 and this is going to be the final episode of season one of Crossover Connections with Jack Wang. And as with any season finale, I don't think we'll leave anything on a cliffhanger because science never stops, never sleeps. The cliffhanger is science will never end and nothing will ever be finished. We are inherently in a field filled with cliffhangers. <laughs> we'll never be finished. <laughs> we'll never be satisfied, nor will we ever be finished. I think it's a good chance to reflect on this whole season and this whole process of starting mm-hmm. the podcast and whether or not we think it's been a worthwhile exercise and whether or not we will continue into season two for the foreseeable future. Spoiler alert, we will continue into season two. Whether or not it will be good or better than season one is an open question, open debate. So I thought we would go back on this first by a bit of a trivia. I thought we could play a bit of a game. Okay. And this is a game for the audience. I'm going to paraphrase Mm -hmm. very awkwardly in the style of cheesy news headlines. (laughs) I'm going to be bad at this. An old headline (laughs) that we covered sometime during season one. Mm -hmm. I'll accept either version Mm -hmm. of an answer and deem it as correct if the original headline Mm -hmm. or some version of it. And or for bonus points, the episode number... In which we mentioned the headline. Okay, so let's see. If you, let's see if you get either of no these. Way. Either of these, you get mm-hmm. a point. Five of these in total. Yeah. And if you're playing along at home, so this is the game. I will give you a paraphrased, cheesy news version of the actual headline, and you can tell me the existing headline and or what the story was about originally, or the episode that it was from in season one of Crossover Connections with Jack Wayne. So the, I'll start with an easy one. Okay, this is the first one. It's not not hard mm-hmm. at all. Permafrost or permanot. Virus reawakened by meddling scientists. So, what do you remember what I, that article was about? Yeah, I can't tell you what episode that was in, but that was about finding dormant species of bacteria, right, that were in Arctic permafrost and could be potentially dangerous in current times because we don't have any immunity. We don't know what they do along, along those lines. I cannot tell you which episode it was from. So, that's the correct <laughs> yes. storyline. I should have put a trigger warning for microbiologists. You uh, misrepresented a virus as a bacteria that's very commonly done in news headlines oh was when it people a virus? say okay a virus there's a new viral infection and then some of the news will say oh the bacteria the co- the coronavirus bacteria is affecting all these people so a trigger warning for the microbes look this microbe was people this was there. not me mistaking the two it was just um that i thought it was bacteria in the heat of the quiz moment (laughs) you lost your mind and caught a virus a bacteria so yes this was uh, in episode five Mm -hmm. a story where people were calling it a zombie virus Mm -hmm. and getting really worked up over the idea that Mm -hmm. scientists yet again are going to cause the apocalypse by meddling with what they shouldn't be meddling in and we interpret it as well this virus is waking up and it itself is the zombie mm-hmm. it's reawakened Forgot the zombie angle whereas mm-hmm. we 
in the general public, and I'm going to count myself as the general public now, <laughs> as, as, a, as a member of the general public, thought of it as we will be turned into zombies if this virus is exposed onto us. So it's not that at all, mm-hmm. and, but it's a great clickbait headline. Mm-hmm. So the, the headline of the story was these viruses were going to be reawakened to a completely new ecological environment because they were frozen in ice for centuries. Mm-hmm. So they were affecting things that were much easier to infect mm-hmm. back in the day, and they mm-hmm. wake up and the whole ecosystem around them has changed. They couldn't even infect things if they wanted to, I guess, is the hypothesis if they're still very efficient or probably more interestingly if they're no longer efficient at infecting things around them to be fair it could still be bacteria in there right definitely and a lot of viruses infect bacteria right Mm. so that they could be infecting bacteria and you know the image that comes to mind is of that dodgy esky do you remember that with the with the cores that were you know wrapped in plastic those permafrost cores which mm-hmm. sounds really fancy, but it's mm. a bunch of dirt. <laughs> a bunch of dirt rolled up <laughs> so in plastic like, bags. Long cylinders of dirt wrapped up and like put in this foam esky. Yeah, it didn't didn't look like the most uh, stringent safety protocols were <laughs> It didn't look like the pinnacle of innovation, let's say. <laughs> A lot of people smuggling Cuban uh, Cuban cigars. Giant Cuban cigars. Giant Cuban cigars <laughs> slash uh, boxes of poop. All right, yeah. so that's the first one. First, mm-hmm. first point, you didn't get the bonus point for what episode? That was episode five. So for those playing at home, Amanda is one for one. I was going to guess five. I was just going to pull it out of the... Well, just make a guess. Yeah, There's okay. no wrong answers in yeah. guessing. Okay. Please. Next headline. Earth launches interplanetary assault. Plan backfires. I don't know what this one's going to be. I remember us covering space junk. That's the story. Space junk. Is it that. space junk? So just saying they're launching space junk into yeah, well, the atmosphere. Okay. Yeah, yes, all right. Yes. Yeah. It makes it sound like we're attacking another planet. Well, well we are. We're launching yeah. space junk into, yeah. into space, right? Yeah. Okay. So for those of you who missed the story first time around, we are launching conservatively 7,000 kilograms of mm-hmm. space junk mm-hmm. into space mm-hmm. constantly. We don't have anywhere else to put this rubbish and we're just putting it into space. That's not including decommissioned satellites that are just blowing up. They're not retired by gently landing back on Earth. They're just exploded in the middle of space at times entering our orbit. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll enter other planets' orbit as well. And it has done things like damage the James Webb Space Telescope because it's traveling pretty much at the speed of an asteroid once it enters certain planets' orbits. And the space junk is a real problem that no one has successfully figured out yet because not a single piece of space junk has yet been removed from space. And I think they were just trying to catalog it. They were just like trying to say, hey, how many pieces (laughs) exist? Not how do we get them out? And giant magnets or giant lasers. We were talking about magnets and I have to, I, I cannot resist saying, I have to say laser beam with my Austin Powers, inverted commas. Uh, I'm going to say episode two or three. You, you got to make a guess. Two. Episode two. Oh, yep. that's bonus points. Great. Mm. Okay. So episode two, that was when we referenced space junk. That's in our back catalog. Because it was quite a deviation from the topics on our first podcast i remember that it was a bit left of field for us yes mm. uh, we went maybe a little bit too far left of field mm. and maybe we're back Just on track back. <laughs> talking about <laughs> talking about weight loss <laughs> right now we're house <laughs> question three mm-hmm. rubbing it into your gums won't help rubbing it into your gums won't help. i'm pretty lost maybe about vaping it's an episode about prime energy drink and the effects of how caffeine actually impacts your system okay and caffeine is not a miracle drug it does wear off at a certain point Mm -hmm. even if you are rubbing caffeine into your gums at 2 a.m its effect is on a very specific receptor the adenosine receptor Mm -hmm. and it just basically acts as a block for that receptor but it's not an irreversible block have this unbearable wave of 
fatigue wash over you at some point mm-hmm. if you keep keep consuming caffeine. What episode do you think we talked about caffeine in? Six. Oh, good. It was episode six. Oh, you got great. it. Wonderful. Episode six. Okay, next question. Let's speed up. Return on investment. How to turn 41 million into 70 million. Return on investment. How to turn 41 million into 70 million. It's not about cataloging the, the species in the ocean. Oh, it is. It is. Of France. It is. Mm. So, the article is 41 million euro investment. Yeah, 41 million euro, yeah. And it's going to turn it into 70 million genes that they're characterizing. (sighs) Mm -hmm. So, you got the right article. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the right headline. That was all the way back in which episode? I want to say two as well. That was episode two as well. Ding, ding. You've got an amazing attention to detail for the podcast you appeared on. I don't know if any of the listeners can remember back, but I did talk about... (laughs) Fluking this completely. (laughs) uh, There's there's no no such thing as fluking in in podcasting. You either got it or you don't. That is all the way back in episode two. And the very last question here, you're mm-hmm. four for four so far. I'm very impressed. Don't bother coming in. There's something to do with when we were covering working from home, maybe. Okay, do you, we, we've done a few of those. So which, which article? Was it the one where we were talking about the four-day working week? Oh, okay. So, so that, that's relevant, you could mm-hmm. argue. I'll give you points for that. The actual article was around the worst question you could ask in a job interview. Okay. Which is, mm-hmm. what is your work from home policy? Mm-hmm. Do you remember which episode we talked about that article in? Eight. Oh, eight. You got it. It's episode eight. How do you remember? <laughs> I, I had to look all these up. I didn't remember any of these uh, timings. You got every episode correct. So let's go back over these headlines again. So this first article is the reviving the zombie virus that mm-hmm. spent 48,500 years frozen in permafrost. And the references to that Amanda made to the bags of... Uh, <laughs> there it is. Bags of permafrost <laughs> Can we show it samples? again? It yes. kind of looks like Christmas. Like, you know, when you... I don't know, when you buy a fake Christmas tree and they've got the little bits wrapped up that slot together. That's what it reminds me of. Yes. And the next article is, I don't think we actually looked at this article during the last episode. No, I don't remember It is the Space Junk Mm. article and the Washington Post put together a Space Invaders type game that you can play with (laughs) to highlight the impact of uh, Space Junk. And it's very, very uh, quite catchy. It's got a lot of uh, animations and all this kind of stuff. So it is behind a paywall, like all Washington Post articles. Mm -hmm. But if you're interested, you can have a look at their depiction of Space Junk and all the different fragments and the screws. It's very, very exciting. The next article is about the 41 million to 70 million return on investment the french government is trying to map the gene of their underwater species to help protect its vast sea life mm-hmm. and uh the next article is about the conversation article about coffee not giving you extra energy it's just mm-hmm. borrowing a bit for next time jack have you changed your caffeine intake policy i have a policy have you uh changed your caffeine intake strategy so. <laughs> okay i don't have a strategy about taking caffeine i'm just drinking when i'm feeling tired i don't have a policy or a strategy Strategy, make you sound very, very visionary and just everything I do. It shows you hold me in higher esteem than maybe I, I deserve. Like, what, what is your five-year plan when it comes to caffeine intake? I've switched quite a lot because mm. I've changed from my standard of, of being flat white because I'm a wimp. I needed more milk in my coffee. Mm-hmm. And then I went all the way to having long blacks with no yep. milk in it at all because I thought milk had... The sad man's drink. Sorry if you're a long black drinker. So I cut all the milk mm. out. And then I realized that it's scalding hot when it comes out of that yes. milk. So I can't drink it that quickly. So I switched to drinking ice long blacks. Ice long black. A little mm-hmm. easier. And then now I've gone to green tea. So I'm ping- I'm, I'm a huge mess. Green I'm ping-ponging tea. between all different mm. mechanisms of caffeine. Have you changed your caffeine intake after reading this article? Yes, but not, not really due to this. A bit sick a few weeks ago and not really having much dairy or, or caffeine. So I still have a cup of tea in the morning 
and now instead of having sort of the mid-morning coffee and possibly one later and then in the afternoon, I'm just having one at lunchtime usually. Mm. Changing hearts and minds. That podcast has mm. impacted one person's caffeine intake at the release. <laughs> yes. And uh, this <laughs> My is... caffeine intake policy. You have a... <laughs> Strategy. <laughs> what does your director of caffeine intake say about this article? But, do, you, uh, do you ever use scientific words accidentally when you could use just, just a normal word? Uh, of course, all the mm. time. It's beaten out of me all the time when I'm re-watching editing. <laughs> I think, can I get to this point? 100% quicker than usually the answer is yes, I can yep. get there much, mm-hmm. much quicker. And this is the last article, which is on all my social media feeds because I've been targeted by these uh, mm-hmm. find the job you want kind of posts. Okay. It's, it's tailored to me, which is about the number one question to never ask in a job interview because people don't like hearing about you wanting to work from home, mm-hmm. certainly not in the initial interview phase. Apparently, employers find that to be a huge red flag and speaking of employers and red flags that brings us to our recurring segment the final segment of season one of crossover connections with jack wayne whose job is it anyway which talks about employability careers and productivity and the article that we'll talk about here is this one from a former vp of google i was vp at google for 10 years here's the number one skill i looked for at job interviews very few people had it let's take a guess what do you think the number one skill someone at google would be looking for in job interviews i don't know communication Okay, so if you were hiring, let, let's mm-hmm. not say you're from Google, right? Let's mm-hmm. say you were hiring for someone to mm-hmm. uh, help you out in your role or mm-hmm. to assist you in some way. The number one skill you would look for in an applicant, besides all the obvious stuff like degrees yeah. and experience, yeah. beyond that, what mm-hmm. you say communication is the first thing you look for? Probably the first thing that'd be obvious to me. So the first thing I would look for and have looked for on mm-hmm. these job panels is independence. Okay. What evidence do they claim to have mm-hmm. when it comes to the projects they've driven? Mm-hmm. rather than being led by another leader who has the vision, has the strategy, is okay. executing mm-hmm. on it. If they don't have that much evidence of independence, it's not a deal breaker, but they do need to understand that the role they are applying for and the amount of independence they need to show. Mm-hmm. They need to be kind of understanding of that to show me they know what pocket they think they belong in. They fit in. And mm. if they're trying to apply for a new role to show they've got more independence, mm-hmm. that should come across in their communication as well. So number one skill, this particular Google VP, former Google VP, who has done 40-hour work weeks where all they did was conduct job interviews. They had one thing that they looked for in candidates before anything else, and that is self-awareness. What a amorphous thing, self-awareness. Mm. So let's ask a philosophical question. Mm-hmm. How does someone who is not self-aware become aware that they are not self-aware? How do you know that you're not self-aware? Because you lack self-awareness. How do you figure this out? This is an impossible thing that employers are looking for. Well, we just want you to be aware that you don't have self-awareness. Like we tell all our audience, we mm-hmm. don't just propose problems without solutions. Wherever mm-hmm. possible, we try and find solutions to this. So this article does show you some telltale signs of people who aren't self-aware enough. Mm-hmm. Using the word I too much means they may not be humble or collaborative. Too much we may obscure what role they played in the situation. There needs to be a balance. The example they give is how they acknowledge their team-based mm-hmm. contributions mm-hmm. to say it was my idea, but the team contributed. But if it was just me, 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 yes, it may be you, but also it doesn't show that you're a team player to the extent that matters in the role that you're applying for. It's funny, isn't it? Because in, in scientific writing, we, we don't usually write in first person anyway. So, my communication is probably a little bit geared away from that anyway, in some ways. More so in writing, I guess, than in... I think to a fault. Yeah. I think scientists remove the, the person out of it too much. That's right. To the point where it feels emotionless and lifeless and unrelatable. 
<laughs> Tell us what you really think. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked to our disadvantage in, in most, yeah, in, most in public arenas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How would your colleagues describe you? And also to push on that a little bit, what constructive feedback have your colleagues given you? Okay. And the answer that the applicant gives to that would reveal a lot about how they would view their own weaknesses and areas mm-hmm. of improvement and also how they relate to other people because if all they hear are the good things people say about them then that's not great mm-hmm. if all they hear are the bad things people say about them that's also not great either sure. so okay. it's, it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. isn't it yeah it's interesting then the follow-up question they'll say is if there is some feedback they've received that is constructed from their colleagues mm-hmm. the interviewer would say well what have you done to improve since then okay. and that gives that sense of self-improvement and orientation towards learning that maybe uh, that other applicants don't have and maybe accepting feedback well Mm -hmm. skill that i'm still working on is the test here so they've given a self-awareness assessment here if you're not self-aware how would you know here are some telltale signs you consistently get feedback that you disagree with this doesn't mean the feedback is correct necessarily but it does mean that how others perceive you differs from how you perceive yourself and number two you often feel frustrated and annoyed because you don't agree with your team's direction or decisions number three you feel drained at the end of a workday and can't pinpoint why (laughs) Four, you can't describe what kinds of work you do and don't enjoy doing. So that is the answer to the philosophical question. Mm -hmm. If you're not self-aware, how do you realize that you are not self-aware? If you consistently get feedback that you feel frustrated by and disagree with and you feel drained at the end of the working day, that could mean you are just in a bad working environment where (laughs) everyone else is wrong and you are right. That's possible. Possible. Or maybe a more realistic answer is, yeah, you're right, but you're not doing a good enough communicating your Mm -hmm. value to those Mm -hmm. around you you don't have enough leverage to win hearts and minds by default Mm -hmm. so then it comes down to your soft skills as transferable skills and Mm -hmm. communication skills that can help it go your way this makes it seem much harder than uh, i remember it applying for my current job it wasn't a cakewalk applying for my current job but Mm -hmm. i didn't have all of these concerns going in Mm -hmm. i didn't have this Mm -hmm. concern how do i portray myself as being a self-aware individual Mm -hmm. i think it's harder than ever to be someone out there in the workforce looking for new work at a higher role absolutely but these resources weren't anywhere near as available when I was applying for this current job uh, 15 years ago. True. It was very much a, a no man's land out there, certainly online for like, mm-hmm. advice on job interviews. You had to like go onto these secret Reddit threads and forums <laughs> and be in the right <laughs> Facebook group if Facebook was even a thing back then. And the last article we'll talk about today is this one, which is yet another job interview one. Mm-hmm. And this time it comes from a hiring VP at Microsoft Mm -hmm. instead of Google. I oversaw hiring at Microsoft. Here's the one interview question that makes or breaks job candidates and what I looked for in an answer. The one interview question that Mm -hmm. makes or breaks job candidates. Mm -hmm. It is not what is your work from home policy because uh, (laughs) 10 years ago at Microsoft, I don't think they were talking about that at all. The one question that they would ask is this one. Tell me something you've learned in the last couple of days. Tell me something you've learned in the last couple of days, Amanda. (laughs) What have you learned? This would stump me. Last couple of days. Anything? So before we dive into your answer, I'm going to buy you some time here to think about a really compelling answer that would make me hire you at Microsoft a a decade ago. The strategy behind this question, Mm. asking this question, Mm -hmm. and then a strategy for answering this Mm -hmm. question. A great candidate will have a ready answer is the first strategy Mm -hmm. because if they haven't learned something in the last two days or (laughs) if they can't fake having learned something in the last couple of days, they're not thinking strategically going into a job interview. A couple of examples, maybe they've learned how to format pivot tables in Excel, unlikely to be impressive. Maybe it's how to make a better battle bot or it could be the history of a poet they love. Mm. 
I'll just tell you right now, none of these would get you the job at where I work if you went in there talking about the poet that you last uh, mm-hmm. last read about. Mm-hmm. Or teaching your child how to ride a bike. Or maybe it's how to cook leeks. Again, none of these things would replace my employer, I have to say. <laughs> and it does seem a little bit like the showmanship of a job interview in mm-hmm. having these answers ready. But I think the key here is that it is very important for this particular recruiter to mm-hmm. see someone's passion for learning Mm -hmm. because at that company at that time you could never predict exactly the project you'll be assigned Mm -hmm. so whoever you hired you have to be confident that they could thrive in new situations Mm -hmm. and i have to say that is true in my workplace you cannot hire someone based on past performance you have to to some extent to predict that they'll be able to publish their Mm -hmm. paper or get their Mm -hmm. grant and all that kind of stuff what they'll be working on 10 years from now is definitely not the thing they've been working on the past 10 years. So this is quite an interesting concept. Do you have a ready answer? (laughs) I I, I can tell you some things I've learned, but none of them are particularly impressive. I'm not going to give you a real answer because this is the game. You can't give a real answer, right? You have to give something Mm -hmm. that's got layers to it. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is depending on the setting, I would give us a softball jerky answer first. Mm -hmm. I would throw that out very quickly. I guess one of these cheesy ones oh i taught my child how to ride a bike or whatever or i learned how to save my document every hour or something like something really innocuous Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and then i will launch into something that is much more kind of in line with my value proposition this is a genuine answer it's not Mm -hmm. a cheesy one ask me that question again jack what's something you've learned in the past few days people don't care about what I have to say unless I package it very nicely. I recently made a YouTube video thinking that was the greatest thing in the world. Had less than 10 views in the first 24 hours. It's very humbling. Mm -hmm. And what that has led to in terms of my long-term professional learning is that communication in any setting is not a given that people will care about what you have to say. And with students in a classroom, the assumption is they're there to learn. So as long as they show up, we can give them the goods. But it's not quite that simple. You have to basically earn their attention every single time you step into the classroom. And that's the approach I'd take as a teacher. That's the approach I'd take as a mentor for other staff who want to get into teaching. First mm-hmm. answer is something mm-hmm. pretty silly. Mm-hmm. And then that launches into the second answer, which okay. is more strategic. All right. Yeah. So over to you. What is the biggest lesson you've learned after doing... 10 episodes of the Crossover Connections with Jack Wayne podcast over this first season run. What's the biggest lesson, the most valuable thing you've learned? I think the biggest lesson I've learned comes down to communication as well. And that's that there is a way to communicate to different audiences. Again, you have to be strategic in how you discuss a topic. So I think that doing this podcast has greatly improved my ability to communicate on a breadth of different topics. Oh, great. Mm. And if I was to answer that question about what I've learned after this season of Mm -hmm. podcast is I know how to make Amanda look good on camera. It's actually very easy. But making both of us look and sound good is is much more challenging. (laughs) Normally, it's just me, myself in this space trying to make myself look like I'm in a movie or something. So that's a little more fun. But with two people, I felt a responsibility to make both of us look and sound good. And I think (laughs) for the most part, I've succeeded. That's a really, really interesting and valuable lesson. The other part of this is there is a lot of people willing to engage with podcasts, maybe more so than the videos. Maybe like the numbers aren't as expansive as they could be, but I've had a lot more interactions with the community through the podcast and any kind of one video that I've made Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. on this YouTube channel. So I think it's been a really useful exercise. And that brings us to the close of our first season. If you're interested in all of our past episodes, this is episode 10. So the entire backlog is on your podcast platform of choice on Apple Podcasts 
or Spotify, as well as on our YouTube channel, Biolab Collective with Jack Wang. What I'm not sure about is if I should start a new YouTube channel just dedicated to the podcast itself. Okay. It's mm-hmm. exhausting running a YouTube channel. I can't <laughs> imagine running two. But if you want to find all the podcast episodes on a completely separate channel, please let us know in the comments below and I will make it happen despite my primary instincts of not having to do as much work it does make it easier to find mm-hmm. but for the moment you can find the clips to the podcast as well as all the full episodes in a playlist crossover connections with jack wayne on our youtube channel amanda do you have any final words for our audience waiting to listen to season two with bated breath i'm just impressed that we didn't bring up bats once in this episode oh yeah we, we did we our recurring segment of bat watch mm-hmm. had a quick meteoric rise mm-hmm. and a quick death and you didn't ask me any questions about bats in the in the episode quiz. In the trivia mm. quiz. I think that would have been easy because the answer would have been episodes one through to nine. We talk about bats constantly. Every episode is the answer. Every single episode. Mm-hmm. The intention is to return to season two, hopefully with a more regular weekly release schedule. Mm-hmm. I don't think season one is completely finished yet. We might have a bonus episode if a certain topic arises in the headlines that we have to talk about that we can't wait to rush back to these marks to talk about. But until then, I'm Jack. And I'm Amanda. I hope to connect with you next time around.